Aloha Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Solar Coaster episode 76, Getting Acquainted with SEPA, the Smart Electric Power Alliance. <laughs> This is this is uh, something really important here. I mean, uh, you know, we we have uh, a bunch of interviews we did with SEPA. They really treated us right out in SPI back in Anaheim. Was it three weeks ago now? Uh, that epic event. Yeah, you know, it's um, really it's kind of a blur. <laughs> yeah, it was really amazing. But you know, SEPA and SIA together, kind of hand in hand, uh, you know, create and own that whole operation, right? Right, right. I mean, they, they run they run the show uh, together in tandem. They were two very separate organizations with very different missions. CIA, we've talked about previously, uh, which is the, the the lobbyist organization in Washington, and actually have state chapters all over the place, kind of kind of promoting uh, positive legislation for solar energy, renewable energies across the space. And that's CIA. Uh, C- that's CIA. Yeah. Now SEPA is um, a very different organization. They're they're like purely a research arm. Of, of or the research organization, they they want to um, kind of concatenate all the research that's being done in um, renewable energies, and then help propagate it across all. That. I mean, if imagine if every single utility company had to go out and do their own R and D in their own private little R and D lab. I mean, it's just it's like inefficient. A, it's like a utility club <laughs> to kind of like spur on renewable energy adoption and smart. Sure, and stuff, it's right? and it's and it's not just utility. I mean, they they do they do a lot of stuff. They do their own projects. They there's, there's, but they're researching new and interesting ways to incorporate renewables, both with policy and actual technologies. So they have right. they have a lot of different missions, right. which and is we, really cool. And I think we did like four or five interviews there with various members, and just so you know, learned a lot. I mean, really, just brilliant people. I mean, just at the end of the day, just brilliant people. And they started off our right. interview schedule. You know, we did about thirty in total throughout the the week, and then that was the first like four or five in one day. Bang, 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 bang. It was all super. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily <laughs> the best idea to actually have them uh, first thing in the morning on the very first day because yeah. we're all still jet lagged <laughs> just trying to get some coffee going but really amazing people but, and so we have a great opportunity here to learn not only from the uh, i think the ceo uh, uh julie ham's going to be on the show for, uh, briefly talking about spi and then also rachel henderson who is uh is focusing in on a really cool area called ccas if i'm not mistaken right jay and correct. so we're going to get into correct. that with plenty to talk about here we also have somebody else in the studio today mr luke alcon did i pronounce that correctly that is correct all right so luke is a great guy a uh, shining new recruit here at the uh, one of our sponsors, uh, Maui Solar Project, uh, the company, and he is going to be uh, the next solar superstar. So thank you for coming in today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome Excited to the to He's the next superstar. He got a free trip to Maui. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, no, it definitely is. Uh, it's kind of uh, it bodes well that when I asked you this morning about an hour and a half ago, you're like, yeah, sure. Come on. I'll go on air. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for taking the bull by the horns. <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of how you wrangled me. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it goes. All victims. Shall we get going, Jay? Let's do it. All right. Hey, folks, this is The Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy-themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. on Ko'oi 1110 a.m. Also some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. Got a great website. Yeah, solar-coaster.com. That's solar hyphen coaster.com. You can go there, listen live. Uh, we post all the pictures from all our events and things that we've been to uh, you can sign up for our mailing list there and submit questions online so if you can't get to us during the actual show and call in you can uh, submit your question there we'll definitely get it on there we're also available on a number of podcast platforms so after the fact once this airs uh, it goes up on iTunes Stitcher TuneIn, and of course our, our website in the podcast section uh, plug in solar coaster there and take us everywhere you walk or go Absolutely. And uh, we got some great sponsors out there. Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonin Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Uh, all these companies are innovating on some pretty exciting levels. Uh, we just did a, uh, a show with Sonin Battery. Uh, was it last week or the week before? The week before, I think, right? Week uh, before. And they're no longer Sonin Battery. They are Sonin, my mistake, right? They changed Correct. the name. And, uh, yep. Yeah, a couple of new things I know because they, because they do more than batteries now. <laughs> yeah, everybody's kind of expanding out. Pika also, they just uh, I think they're not launching their AC coupled product. Sundrum's doing yep. some great projects out here. Tabuchi Electric America is doing boatloads of great stuff. So yeah, really wonderful group of people to uh, companies to work with. So l- what do you say we jump into our news and events, Jay? We've got tons of news to talk about today. Let's about uh, PV Magazine published an article. The 2035 is the renewable energy tipping point. Now I've talked about a couple tipping points over the years, and this is this is kind of um, 
where I thought the article was going. It's actually very different. Mm. Um, my tip, my tipping points are, like I said, there's there's kind of two places where renewable energies can really take hold. Um, one is where it costs less to make a new renewable generating facility than it would a traditional like a coal burning factory burning facility um, and that we've actually already passed that one it's actually cheaper to make kilowatt hour solar fields than it would man battery than building an old a new old school coal power plant or nuclear reactor or something okay um, this the second one is when it actually costs less to generate to create a new solar power plant than it is even even continuing to build a coal burning so it's power costing plant. That's, you that's, more, more money to just continue operating more money the infrastructure you already have. yeah why would yeah. you right why would you run it let's let's scrap it and build a solar power plant over the the coke ash field or whatever it is which is disgusting <laughs> hmm. but <laughs> but but this is a very different tipping point they're talking about um the shifting of of oil and gas and and uh renewables um technologies like transport the global transportation network that type of stuff um so moving into a very different space, um, this gentleman, Wood McKenzie, um, bought the research arm of uh, Green Tech Media. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, Wood McKenzie. Um, and, and, he, and he's. Is that yeah. I think Wood is a company, isn't it? And then um, they bought GTM. Yeah. yeah? So which is interesting yeah. because we use GTM all the time. Uh, so that's a right. great go-to source for us. Yeah, fan, fantastic research, and they and GTM does have its own research arm. Um, so that that that's going on with the um, the Chris Breyer, solar professional at Solar Economics University, told BBC in an interview that it's it's matter of survival. And I think this this comes from the um, the IPCC report that came. We're going to talk about a lot about that that report that came out of the um, the United Nations. Um, last was it last week last uh week? just recently uh, but it certainly changed a lot yeah just just yeah it's it's been all the noise so this convergence um they're talking about is everything getting to 20 percent and then once the 20 percent mark is hit then it's kind of a kind of in free fall it's all the other the other um oil demand will be displaced uh because evs are are everywhere it's actually going to cost I, lo I love there's a quote in here that it's actually going to cost it will be only the rich people instead of only the rich people driving <laughs> electric cars it'll be only the rich people driving combustion engines right. because they won't be able to afford the oil yeah <laughs> yeah and are. that kind of aligns with the idea that of, of the uh, autonomous driving electric vehicles as well and that they'll be uh, so much safer than you know old school conventional combustible engines right regular cars so uh, people yeah, are not yeah. going to be driving these things for a lot of reasons the insurance be high and it's going to be really expensive to uh you know buy, buy the gas but there's some I mean, yeah, eventually just, it's going to be illegal to drive a car right <laughs> that's gonna be a bit of a bummer actually uh you know hey this uh this report from the uh, ipcc i really i think has catalyzed a lot of energy out there in this space around the world They're, you're seeing it just being referenced everywhere and article by article like half of our articles reference it today you know um the, this one talks about the you know a couple of pieces of language that i like you know it says you know for the analysts the global energy transition they're talking about it on a global mm -hmm. scale right now will be complete, and you, as you just said, when the new technologies achieve a 20% market share or account for 50% right. of new development or sales activities. And that's what they're talking about here, about this tipping point. Uh, and that's just unbelievable, uh, the scale of what's happening right now. It's almost like that, that report came out and everyone just said, okay, it's on. You know, this is no longer yeah. a, a, a a casual dialectic for a couple nerds on a on a radio show. This is no longer a uh, a fun thing we chat about. We're not going to avoid this at Thanksgiving because of the political divide. Uh, is there a political divide anymore right now? I mean, the, the guy wearing the cowboy yeah, hat driving uh, the pickup truck yep. is uh, the, has the same interest as the guy in the Prius and the and the latte. And uh, you know, if, we're, if you we're, have if you have children, right? This is. <laughs> You have kids. There is no argument. It's, There's no argument. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing time, you know, and it's kind of like, uh, I just feel like the gloves are off. That's 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 how I feel right now. And a lot of these articles, I think, are reflecting the scale of what's happening. It's just unbelievable. Right. Um, it's like for those cowboys and, out and, there too. You know, they're they're coming along with the electric workhorse truck now that's coming out. Right. There you and go. That yep. thing is, yep. is just as powerful as any diesel that's coming out. And, yeah. I mean, it's renewable. And is that, is that the Ford? Um, no, it's actually a company called Workhorse, and they have an electric truck that's oh. coming out, and it has a payload that's going to be boy. 
available for it, and I think it's coming out within six months. I know that six months. Yeah, it's coming uh, out here pretty Ford, quickly. Ford so. just lost my business. <laughs> All right, so no offense, Ford. Uh, and yeah, they also said that indeed, stating that there is no alternative to a world of 100% renewables. Uh, this is Christian Breyer, the professor of solar economy at La Peranta yep. University of Technology. Uh, yep. No, no alternative. I mean, this is the kind of language that's being thrown around right now. It's not only a matter of survival; it is also the cheapest way to shape our energy future, as solar and renewables have the potential to reduce our LCOE of global power supply considerably, and they give some numbers there by 2050. Mm-hmm. Holy moly, Jay. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> All right. Um, next up, Tesla secures land in China for its next gigafactory. So they signed documents now. They own the land, um, and they're going to be uh, building a new gigafactory uh, in uh, Shanghai. So that's that's interesting. I, I this this led me to down a kind of a rabbit hole because I wanted to know this is this is going to be the third gigafactory. What do they do? Um, there's a bit of a misnomer there. Tesla has a factory in Fremont, California. That's where the mm-hmm. the, the actual vehicles are created. Mm-hmm. Um, but the gigafactory, the first one in Reno, is actually it's le- part of its lease to Panasonic, and they, all they do there is bake lithium. This is batteries, right? It's 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 a battery fab. That's all right. it does. Uh, but it's gigantic. So right. For, one end, it's, it's completely integrated. One end, raw materials come in, uh, little cells, uh, either the 18650 or the 21700 cells. And that's, that's the nickel, cobalt, the manganese oxide, right? That's the, that side Correct. of the fence in terms of yep. chemistries, right? Yep, yep. So, so that's what the, that factory does. That's Gigafactory 1. Gigafactory 2 is the one in Buffalo, New York, and that was specifically slated to do the solar and PV stuff. Uh, again, Panasonic is leased part of it, or it was funded partially by Panasonic. Panasonic also makes panels there, so some of the Panasonic panels that you mm-hmm. would buy mm-hmm. uh, would actually come from that factory. Um, but but it, was, it was really going to be the kind of the solar roof tile. <laughs> <laughs> Gigafactory. That's what. It, right. That's where they were going to be made. Now it seems like Tesla is backpedaling from that solar roof um, concept a little bit. They they have not been been creating a lot. There might be issues, but they haven't talked about it. We don't know. Uh, but I don't see a lot of noise about the solar roof for all for all the press it got when it was announced. Where where are they? Well, it seems like this last <laughs> period of time for Tesla was really a focus on the uh, production of the Model Three and just getting their numbers up for the cars. I mean, that's what they were doing, sure. right? And everything else sure, is kind of like sure. on hold. I mean, there has been some, you know, at least some kind of fluff dialogue saying, hey, we're going to reinvest in, in our solar business. And, and so that, that has, that did happen a month or so ago, right, Jay? They're talking about that. But yeah, it, but they're really given, besides, besides that anything. verbal commitment, yeah. we haven't seen anything. <laughs> There's no right. movement. There's right. a lot, so, a lot so, of talk so, out there right now. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know. Again, I, again, I, again, Elon, come on the show. Uh, correct us. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? Always welcome. <laughs> always welcome. But this this step here for China is is interesting on a couple different levels. I mean, you, you, they say they have 487 electric car makers out there right now in China. Yep, 487. Yep. So there are um, uh, quite a few people in China, as I understand it, <clears throat> and probably a lot mm-hmm. of people looking to buy cars and not really expensive cars, probably more, uh, you know, in terms of that mass market. They're looking for, you know, cars that can be sold to, you know, not millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions, but, more, you know, it's just an amazing amount of people. So so uh, the and and yet in in Asia brand is a thing and Tesla well Tesla has could a Tesla widely could, recognized yeah. high end brand who I have a Tesla it used to be your Mercedes right now fair, it's Tesla. fair enough um, but how many hundred thousand dollar cars can you sell in China right now I and mean, we did see the Beijing thing when we were in the uh, Beijing is like the busiest uh, Tesla uh, charging station in the world right we saw that a while back yep yep <clears throat> yep um, but but they also have a forty percent import tariff. On vehicles. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Forty yeah, <laughs> percent. And so I that's mean, that's exactly what he's trying to do. The, the only way to be cost competitive in China is to have your factory in China. Yeah, so he this is very simple. Is going to be, yeah, very simple quote. He just said, "What do you say? Yeah, really, the only way to make cars affordable, right? That's what Musk yeah. said. Yeah. That's the bottom line. Yeah, yeah, so. that's the bottom line. And then, and then, um, in just so you know that there's actually. Also, they're in negotiations. It hasn't been finalized. They do have a facility in the Netherlands, but they're actually looking to make another. It's not a gigafactory. It's just a regular factory, bunch of factory buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, those do final assembly for Teslas in Europe. And oh, then wow. they are looking to do a actual gigafactory four or five in Germany somewhere. No kidding. But it hasn't been finalized. So they're going to be all over the place. Check and that going out. forward, each and every gigafactory will have um, automobile uh, generation capability. Each factory will be right. able to produce not every, only every, yeah, batteries right. so but also gigafactory. cars. Is that Correct. What you just said? Yeah. Each 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 gigafactory going forward will have um, car production facilities. Oh boy. Okay. 
Okay. So, so they're doubling down on automotive production, <clears throat> seems like. All right. Well, uh, so that's that's Tesla. Tesla gets a segment <laughs> as always. Let's jump over to uh, always, this yeah. um, <clears throat> renewableenergyworld.com uh, article. You want to do that one about the uh, sustainable yeah, clean energy yeah. securitization? I knew it. you were going to say that. Jay loves to throw these things at me. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the bottom line in this article seems to be that uh, this it's the scale of the of, of, of once again, they mention the IPCC and they talk about what it's going to take from a financial perspective to be able to uh, to, to to attack this 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 unbelievable challenge, unprecedented challenge, and uh, they're looking at ways to use a securitization of debt uh, in order to be able to uh, get the funding for this. I mean, that's the gist of it, right, Jay? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, we have um, a whole lot of interesting conversations going on, but because of that IPCC report. Um, they came up with some hard numbers, and the number was $122 trillion that was required to revamp the global infrastructure by that 2035 um, kind of deadline, right? Um, yeah. I, that, so that, so that, that, again, begs, begs the question. I go down the rabbit hole, and I'm looking for it. Um, did you know that in the world, all currency, like I'm talking cash, coin, banknotes, every single checking, piece, every, every accounts, bit of it. We, 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 we have every bit of it. <clears throat> Is only totals up to thirty six point eight trillion dollars. Oh. <laughs> some reason, some reason I had the number eighty something trillion in my head, but so it's thirty six. No, no, no. That, that that might be. Yeah, my, um, this is as of twenty seventeen, but it, so it might have changed. But I don't think it's that different. Um, all stock markets worldwide, all added up, mm-hmm. actually, and you know, Apple just became a trillion dollar company. Right, well, there right. aren't that many of those. Mm-hmm. The entirety of all stock markets worldwide, seventy three trillion dollars. Now we're getting closer. Okay. Now so, we're getting closer, but that's still. But just to give you a sense of the scale, well, of this no, this thing, is the it's scale. It's one hundred twenty-two trillion dollars. It's what is the name of that that movie? All the money, all the money in the world. Uh, you know, he, I mean, he says yeah. one of the quotes is the it's one hundred trillion plus, and he goes, "Who has that money?" Well, the answer is nobody, right? Except yeah, for nobody. this approach that you know, if you have to mobilize it, and for, he says, I'll "Just I'll read the quote because it's the best way to get to it." If you have to mobilize it, and for long term, the best tool is institutional investors. Says Vikram mm-hmm. Widge, is, uh, that's an, it's quite a name, global head of climate climate finance and policy at the International Finance Corp. The huge pool of global savings, we can't do this without it. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is the this is the approach they're looking at taking, basically, you know, what does he call it? Clean energy securitization in order to be able to uh, cook up the finance to be able to go after this uh, this massive challenge. You know, when we're talking to DJ a while back, uh, Jay, DJ Alamayu of Samuel Engineering, he was saying that, you know, we really haven't reached the place where renewable energy is, as it's got the, the, the structured money behind it completely, right? And we'd reference that Right, recent bond. right. It's, 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 a li- it's a little it's a little unique. It's not it's not um, in the wide scale market. And looks, that's the it, reason why this it, this group yeah, exists. The G twenty the G twenty coalition here is really trying to structure and build the case for securitization, bank loans, etc., to be uh, available for these things. And and as of now, it's it's still in the in the discussion phase. <laughs> I think in the next eighteen months, it'll definitely become more realized especially in 2020 when California makes the leap to make sure every new home is actually all solar. So, well, yeah. it has to be. I well, mean, there, there, it we, has to be. Again, we really don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, once again, I feel like it's this 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 report and this general energy out there is catalyzing all of this kind of discussion and we're going to see uh, just the, you know, big the finance get behind uh, solutions to make sure that the earth doesn't, you know, go extinct. That's that's probably what they're trying yep. to do. <laughs> so, uh, yep. thank goodness, right? Not all right, what's, idea, <laughs> what's the next article we're working on here, Jay? Which one is it? This this one I thought you'd want to take, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit collapse oh, of New Jersey, Jersey solar solar industry, big layoff. <clears throat> no interim state plan. Yeah, uh, it, this yeah. is a warning. Um, this is so crazy. This is crazy, the, but it's not surprise, right? Yeah. So I mean, for no, sure. No, not surprising. We we we, we kind of lived through this. Uh, originally, I thought, oh god, they they ended NEM, and it's not really because they never had one. They have a they, different system there yeah, where you get solar. They call energy S, production S Rex, right? And uh, yeah, S Rex. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like they, you know, they had basically. It's similar to some of the stories we've heard in the past, where these these incentives kind of got out of control, or at least from the perspective of the state trying to fund it or trying to keep up with it. And they made a sh- made, right. decide, determined to make a shift, but they didn't figure out this. They didn't figure out what was going to be next. And so yeah, those credits are like trading at two hundred dollars, which is way way outpaces the actual development. Right. So you have, um, but you have this very successful, it's kind of proud of New Jersey, right? You know, it's my home state Mm -hmm. and very successful uh, industry. 
And, uh, you know, you have a, what is something like 7,000 people employed is in excess of $10 billion. And all of that right now is at risk, you know, unfortunately, because of this failure to plan for what would take over, what type of incentive would take over. They also talk about existing projects being in the works, right? And um, ones that are under schools, municipalities, hospitals, they could turn. That was, that was a concerning one to me yeah. that these programs are going to be the going to turn untenable for the owner and they're going to get scrapped but these are school projects and stuff that, that can't leave these like half installed on some school's roof it doesn't work that way <laughs> yeah it's just it's just nuts to think that these incentives could somehow be just stripped away and then there isn't another solution then the entire industry could be sitting there uh twiddling its thumbs going oh what are we going to do uh while you know policymakers try to figure out how to do it i mean it needs obviously they're not looking at solar as 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 relevant uh, an employment sector, a piece of the overall economy as it is. And then they go, oh, wait a second, this is a big deal here. We got to know what we're doing. We got to know where we're transitioning. You know, um, it's just yeah, that unreal. was ten billion dollars in the state with a B, not an M. I wasn't sure that was 10 clear. Ten billion, <laughs> ten billion. That's serious money right there. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, hopefully, I mean, I'm sure they'll come up with something else, but they need to do it quickly. And that's kind of the bottom line of this article. But yeah, I mean, it, it sounded like this this conversation was a little heated because I I can't make the work <laughs> make the cost caps work with any math at all and mm. and the, the the gentleman at the panel said is it do you have anything positive to say at all and he said no we're kind of boxed in yeah yeah <laughs> no no really, and, and there's nothing to do you know hopefully we don't continue to see these kinds of uh of like potholes put into the the, the, the course of, of renewable energies in different state by state you know we've seen it out here right i mean you know there, there ends and no one knows what's going to happen and out here, you know, and out in New Jersey, you have this just, okay, we're going to get rid of SREX. All right, well, what are we going to do sure. about it? I mean, what's the difference? You know, what's the next stage? So yeah. it's just Ab- Absolutely. I mean, we, 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 what we're doing, we're just talking about it. What we're doing is absolutely unprecedented in human history, okay? Um, so there are going to be these kinds of hiccups. It's just how we negotiate and deal with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, no more hiccups like that. So it would be better. <laughs> it would be much better. Like that. Well, like I said, it, it hit a little close to home for you because it's New Jersey. But yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Well, and we went through it here. You know, I think we went through the same thing here, basically. So, um, yeah. all right. Well, similar anyway, not incentive based, yep. but, you know, based on programs. So right, let's so take a look at that one in Florida. We're still we're running across the country right now. Florida. So, yeah. yeah. We're just, just moving our way across. Uh, Hurricane Michael highlights urgent need for more solar opportunities. Florida was one of those that got hurt. We, we talked about it before. They had um, really slow deployment in solar because of some some legislative issues uh, they had some some confusion over over specific uh, proposals that were made um, and and it generally wasn't a, a friendly place to be if you wanted solar it was it was a very difficult proposition um, but they just got hit again um, significant loss of life uh, 1.3 million people without power across um, the five southeastern states you know it was, it was really really important um, to address this and and we've seen in the past when we've had these these hurricane events that people with batteries actually fare much better because they have power they actually can provide power to their neighbors they have seen people run extension cords out front with power strips and everybody just comes back to be able to charge their phone that type of stuff i mean it's really community coming together type of stuff um but microgrids and energy storage can really mitigate the effects of major storm events uh yeah i mean um they're talking about you know how not only is that that resiliency really valued and treasured and really important but they're talking about how the business community is generally behind it right so they're saying that hey you know the the entire state across the board in the cni space they all want renewable energy it's they all want to have a you know these these uh, types of gen- energy generation tend to be more more resilient. Not only just because of batteries, even even just general uh, infrastructure uh, of of a solar field tends to do better than other systems. You know, in terms of a, when mm-hmm. a, when a storm comes in. So, uh, you know, Hurricane Michael had a pretty big impact. Uh, something like more than 1.3 million people were without power uh, across a variety of areas. Uh, so it's just more uh, telling. And of course, they reference the IPCC in this article as well. So, hey Jay, I think yep. we've got to keep an eye on our clock here because we're 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 talking our you know talking our our butts off. <laughs> I'm not sure if we got enough time <laughs> to get into our interviews. But shall we? Um, shall we? Shall we skip Hawaii and move right into our commercials? So we have enough time for those. Or are you looking good with your time? I, I can't see the clock from where I'm sitting. Yeah. So you make the choice. I yeah, think okay. I think that's what we want to do right now. And then if we want to, we'll pick up Hawaii on the backside. Okay. So we're going to go okay. into our commercial break right now and come back with uh, Julie Ham and uh, Rachel Henderson from uh, SEPA from Smart Electric Power Lines. Aloha and welcome to Maui Solar Project. 
It is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org. Tabuchi Electric. A leading worldwide inverter manufacturer presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tabuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tabuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Batter Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right, those were our wonderful uh, sponsors. Thank you so much for sponsoring and supporting the Solar Coaster. We're going to jump right into an amazing interview uh, with uh, a couple of uh, wonderful uh, colleagues and uh, really smart people from the Smart Electric Power Lines. And uh, this interview here was uh, taken at SPI a couple weeks back with uh, the uh, the CEO, I believe, right, Jay? Uh, uh, Julie yep. Hamm. Yeah, let's listen to that. Yeah, we just, just drove uh, on wondering. This is Julia Hamm from the Smart Electric Power Alliance, SEPA. Uh, you did some of the initial sessions right out of the gate uh, yesterday. That was amazing. So just wanted to kind of say hello and then hear from you. Anything you'd like to share with our audience in Hawaii about uh, SPI or about SEPA or about what's going on? So. Sure, yeah. Well, I think starting with the show this week, the, the most exciting thing for me is, yes, it is SPI. It's about solar, but it's actually now about much more than that. We've now you know, uh, created an umbrella brand of North America Smart Energy Week, which under that umbrella, we have SPI, but we also have ESI, which is Energy Storage International. We have a microgrid marketplace. We've added in content related to electric vehicles. We're starting to talk about how we build in smart homes. So really, it's about how do all these things work, work together in it's the system. It's growing so much. It's growing so much. So it's, it's about solar, but it's about so much more than solar. Absolutely. And that's really exciting. And, and I think that's very relevant for, for Hawaii and everything that's happening on the islands um, in that state. And for SEPA, it's very consistent with where we're headed as an organization. You know, We used to be the Solar Electric Power Association. We're now the Smart Electric Power Alliance recognizing that you know, as we make this transition to a clean and modern grid, we can't just think about individual technologies and resources and silos, but we have to think about how they all work together in concert to ensure that individual customers get what they want, whether that's lowest possible bill, highest degree of reliability, cleanest energy possible, but that also what the decisions that individual customers are making also um, work together holistically for the whole system um, and ultimately, you know, benefit the entire society. Yeah, well, thank you so much. All right. So that was uh, Julie Hamm right there at SPIJ. Absolutely. Uh, the next person we got to talk to was Rachel. Um, 
Oh, goodness. I, Henderson. Henderson. There we go. <laughs> Rachel Henderson. Apologize, Rachel. Um, she hit us first thing in the morning with a really crazy concept, CCAs. Now, CCAs are available in a couple different states. Um, it's a kind of a different model, which relegates the utility to the um, kind of the transmission space. But then the CCA organization, which is a community choice aggregator, uh, allows the community itself to source its own power and then um, purchase that power at, or at a rate negotiated by the community. So there's potential there to save some money and certainly um, choice. That second C gives choice uh, about where the power comes from. Um, the, the conversation is a little academic, so be uh, pay attention to everything going on. But I think it's an absolutely fantastic concept. This is Rachel Henderson from uh, the Smart Electric Power Alliance. So welcome to the Solar Coaster. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now your particular area was actually new to us. So maybe we could start right at the beginning. Sure. Give us a sense of kind of your background, a little bit Absolutely. about SIPA as well, and then your area of uh, focus. Absolutely. So thank you for having me. My name is Rachel Henderson. I'm our, the manager of executive affairs at the Smart Electric Power Alliance. In my role there, I work with our board of directors and also our utility executives in particular. And one of the things that got me interested in community choice aggregation, which we're going to talk about today, is that it offers customers this new way of procuring power at a cheaper rate. And so I saw this popping up across several states. California, it's been a really hot topic, and decided to look into it. In terms of a little bit about SEPA, we're a nonprofit that works in the renewable energy sector and uh, across the utility industry to facilitate a smart transition to a clean energy future. So we don't advocate for anything. We're really here to provide an educational, unbiased resource through our research and programs. And we actually co-own Solar Power and Energy Storage International as part of North America Smart Energy Week with SIA, which is the Solar Energy Industries Association. So that's a little bit about my organization. Got it, um, got it, thank you. <laughs> and uh, when it comes to community choice aggregation, it's a pretty unique policy. It's been enacted in seven states. The most notable is probably California, but it's also on six other states across the U.S. There's eight other states that are looking into the legislation but haven't enacted it. And at its core, community choice aggregation is a policy that's put into place at the state level that allows local jurisdictions to form community choice aggregation entities and then procure power in the wholesale market on behalf of those customers. And so this is particularly favorable or interesting for retail customers who are interested in getting lower rates, particularly at wholesale prices, through aggregating their, their load, essentially. So I like to compare this to a Costco or a Sam's Club membership mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it, it kind of is a similar concept, helps CCA seem a little wonky unless right, you have right. some sort of framework. And so they're pretty similar in that you can access wholesale rates or wholesale goods like a Costco membership through a CCA. So that's a little bit about those in particular. I will say that it's important to point out that out of these seven states, California is kind of an exception. Um, it's where we've seen the most probably news and, and articles about community choice aggregation. But California doesn't have a fully restructured retail market that allows for customer choice. And so it's been a little bit more contentious in terms of who's responsible for what in California. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other six states already have a restructured market that allows for customers to access gotcha. um, some of these lower prices. Okay, so that was a good download. So we got a lot of information there it's about CEPA, <laughs> about your focal point. So um, you mentioned that there were seven states that are currently uh, working with CC CCAs, right? Correct. And there were another eight considering it. Yep. Uh, I think I know the answer to this question, but is there any chance that one of those is why? I don't think so. No, okay. I, um, no. Okay, got it. Yeah. And then, what what um, what types are there? Types of environments or types of states that tend to be looking at this? I mean, is is mm -hmm. um, you know in our in our situation, and I can imagine that any option for people in Hawaii, we're presently you know at a pretty high electric rate. It's gone up considerably in the last year. Yeah. So I'd say that we're penciling. Like when I just do the straight math on the kilowatt hours and the bill amounts, it's easy, it's in the 35, 36 yeah, 35 range. Yeah, 35 cents was my oh, last bill. Which was, back, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And which is back to the 2000 and I don't know, like 10 days or something when oil was really, really high. Yeah. Right. So we've got a combo of fuel surcharges and then rate, a PUC approved, Public Utility Commission approved rate increases yeah. uh, that are kind of hitting people hard. And, yeah. and, and the, their most recent rate increase is still, I mean, they've given an intern rate of three cents, but they had asked for eight. 
point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so three seven pretty or something. significant pretty utility rates. And and also, you know, it, it, I think one of our more recent shows with DJ Alamayu mm -hmm. uh, from Samuel Engineering pointed out that, hey, we were here back in 2008 when this started, and one would think that all of the extra renewable energies would reduce rates, yeah. and the opposite has happened, or yeah. at least they've kind of gone about. So there yeah. certainly would be interest uh, from the Hawaii community yeah. in something like a CCA, you know, how do utilities uh, embrace or not embrace this kind of concept? Yeah. Well, so I'll give a little bit more background about how CCAs work, and that might help kind of contextualize this yeah. um, within Hawaii. So CCAs are generally in states, um, or they operate within IOU territories. Mm -hmm. So normally utilities, usually like an investor-owned utility or municipal utility, has some sort of play or plays in some sort of element uh, across the entire distribution chain, whether that be generation, transmission distribution, or kind of customer billing. Mm -hmm. And with CCAs, they work in IOU territories to procure generation, but the IOU is still responsible for the transmission distribution and for the primary billing contact with the customer. Um, CCAs do have some sort of billing piece for the wholesale um, element, but generally that's still under the IOU's responsibility. So I say all this because it, it makes a difference in terms of which state is working with the CCA um, in terms of structure. So in fully restructured markets, uh, it's not as contentious because there's a pretty clear definition of what the utility is responsible for. Um, Would you sure, I yeah. interrupt? Would you define restructured market for our listeners? Sure. So that can be a little hairy term because, as you know, every state is a little different in the U.S. in terms yeah. of their electricity market. But the way I think of restructuring is that they're, you know, since the late '90s and on, they've had policies in place that have basically created more competitive markets at each level of the. Um, energy cycle. So whether that be on the generation side or separating generation, transmission, and distribution. So the six states that have restructured markets, the utility's role is really to be on the transmission distribution level. So they're not going to make a whole lot of money or, they're ha or they have separate entities that run the generation side and the transmission distribution side. So there's no real conflict of interest there. But when it comes to California, California CCAs are a little different in that they're treated a little bit more like a utility than in some other states. So they they can purchase and they're obligated to purchase more longer term contracts to ensure grid reliability, which isn't the same for CCAs and other states that purchase kind of short term contracts. Mm -hmm. So that obviously affects the way the CCAs are formed um, within these different states and then how customers can participate. So one other thing to note going back to the price point is that in California and, and really across the entire U.S., CCAs have been competitive for customers because they're up against this default IOU rate for their electricity. That's not always the case. So Illinois is one example where there were CCAs were really popular in the late um, like 2014 period mm -hmm. and then actually kind of tapered off when utility default rates were either on par with CCA rates or dipped below. And so in that instance, it's really a price difference for customers. So mm -hmm. if they're not saving money, then they're just gonna go back to the default rate because it's cheaper. California, it's a little different. They also have pretty high retail rates. Um, and so CCAs have been able to kind of offer lower rates to customers and therefore electricity savings. But the challenge in California has also been that they are procuring a little bit differently, so with this grid reliability element that other states don't have. Mm. So I'll stop. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. a lot. So yeah, that's I'll a lot stop to digest there. right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we're, sure. and on one hand, we're talking about the potential for, just from the client's perspective, the yeah. potential to save money on their electric bill, which right. is a, across the board, yes, I'm interested in that, generally speaking. But uh, is it also possible to participate in a renewable energy based program? Yeah. That, right. Yeah, so I think that's the biggest thing that CCAs can provide. It's not just the cost savings, but it's also this idea that your community can have input into what types of energy they're procuring. And so we've seen that in California in particular, where CCAs have been able to offer 50 to 100% voluntary green power options that were not offered by the default utility. Since then, a lot of the utilities have picked up on this and have offered you know, pretty competitive green power pricing. 
but this has kind of been that one way like to do it. That sounds like it's more expensive than regular power pricing. Am I hearing that correctly? In some cases, yes. <laughs> yes. Organic <laughs> power. Organic yeah, power, right? <laughs> you should sell it at Whole Foods. Right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it, it, sometimes it can be, but uh, CCAs in California have been either slightly more per um, to get 100% renewable or just on par is a mm. default option. Yeah. And one really unique thing about these programs is that when a CCA is formed within a certain territory, all the customers within that area are immediate, like are opted in. Opt in. Yes. yes, which is a really important point in terms of retention rates. So yeah. they, there's a certain obligations that the state puts in about having to send material to customers to make sure that they're aware of the change. But mm-hmm. um, they have pretty good retention rates um, in terms of the programs. So meaning that people are obligated to join uh, initially, as, yeah, yeah, it's not well. It's not yeah. It's not an obligation so much as you're allowed to opt out. But it's, it's an auto. But it, but it's it, an auto in. Yeah. Right. So when so when a CCA starts in your district, yeah. you are automatically enrolled. And if you decide you don't want to participate, you have to fill out the the yeah. card. Right. So there's out. a so but but automatically people are told, hey, this is happening. You're yeah. in. Yeah. And then you mentioned retention rates. So yeah. So I think they they're like four to five percent. Okay. Uh, like. I'd like to see one of those. I mean, if it's, is it, is how clear is that, yeah. is that documentation? If, it's, they, if you opt out, this is going to right. be your rate versus the rate that we're charging. This is where the power comes from, right. et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of information on um, both the utilities website and the CCA website in terms of the process, because mm-hmm. um, they do have to work pretty closely together if they have the same customers. Sure. Um, and it's it's pretty clear, I think. Uh, depending on the state, they have pretty strict obligations to notify customers in advance. Um, and then several times once the CCA is up and running. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, when I'm interested in, in I, generally speaking, I want to understand how to help the the ratepayers of Hawaii, right? right. And across totally. the board, we're interested in seeing how this goes across the country and everything. Right. But so in, in terms of how this might be implemented in a place like Hawaii, it, we do have an investor-owned utility, mm-hmm. right? We have AGI Holdings, which owns Helco, Hawaiian Electric, and Miko. Uh, Kauai is a separate uh, cooperative, of course, right? So if we wanted to introduce something like this to Hawaii. Would it start with policymakers? Where would where where do you kind of begin the process? Does it go directly to utilities? Yeah. I, well, I think it's also important to look at what's worked and what hasn't worked before jumping to whether it works to Hawaii. Yeah. Um, because I think in we've seen it work pretty well in uh, fully retail choice states where customers have this option and there's a pretty clear definition of what the utility owns. In California, it's been really problematic in a lot of ways because there's not a clear transition between these investor-owned utility holdings and then this this new sort of CCA model that's very decentralized and it's kind of, it was originally formed outside of the regulatory system, so there's not a whole lot of integration. So I say that because I think in the markets that CCAs are working, it's generally, um, or I, by working I mean like probably being the least problematic for this transition period. Okay. It's probably in the states that have um, fully regulated retail choice, so it's pretty clear who owns what. Mm-hmm. California, like I said, is the exception. So. They're having pretty, um, like the California PUC is reviewing a lot of these load serving entities, not just community choice aggregation, but also direct access where um, usually it's large industrial consumers can directly access and procure electricity in the wholesale power market. Mm -hmm. And so they're reviewing how is this going to work with these investor and utilities who, you know, 10, 20 years ago bought a lot of renewable energy on behalf of the state um, at higher prices and now are basically losing some of their customers but are still obligated to pay for these prices. Um, so I say that because there's a lot of challenges in terms of this transition, right? And making sure that we're figuring out the best transition for everyone because at the end, ratepayers are the ones paying for this. Like they're the ones who paid for the investor and utilities to go out and procure. And, and if they choose to form a CCA, they're also the ones now paying for these services. So it's definitely a little complicated, but I think in Hawaii, one one thing I've really seen, just taking a step back and looking at community choice aggregation as a whole, is that there's a real interest in having communities have a lot more input into what types of renewable energy they're procuring. And so I think if you understand that motive, then you understand why community choice is interesting and, and favorable for customers in the first place. 
it seems like with climate change and with a lot of these decarbonization efforts, there aren't a lot of ways, unless you're a local prosumer, to get your community involved in, in choosing what type of energy they're procuring and consuming. And so CCAs are one way to really say, let's let's switch it up. Let's get you know more green energy. Um, yeah, it is, it is energy. that second C, the choice. Absolutely, <laughs> want yeah. Some choice in, in where your power comes from. Yeah. There's a, there's a general theme that we're seeing in some of our more recent shows about this shift from. Um, you know, we've had the last decade, and the way I tend to look at it is there was this proving ground for renewable energies, and a lot of it was handled right. at the kitchen table, right? So right. individuals, right. and then um, you know, back in 08, 09, this kind of territory it started to ramp up. And certainly in the Hawaiian market, we saw this major kind of growth, you know, uh, curve. Right. And um, but one of our recent shows, we had a couple of um, kind of uh, very well-informed guests talking about this movement more towards the utilities taking on the lion's share of yep. the uh, integration of renewable energies. So when I see the, the CCNA conversation come into it, I say, oh, here's an opportunity for the ratepayers to participate in that move. Right. right. And that's very timely and very relevant right Absolutely. now, I think, in the shift in how things are being integrated. It strikes so, me that it parallels the community solar kind of aspect as well. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of CCAs have actually looked at um, you know, taking this sort of local positioning to then integrate other programs as well. So the Redwood Coast Energy Authority is a great example. They're up in Northern California and they originally started out just doing energy procurement, but have started a CCA as well. And they're integrating their microgrid concepts, energy efficiency. Um, a lot of uh, the focus is really on local renewable generation as, as um, much as it is getting it from a broader market, whether that be regional or national through renewable energy credits. So I think that's really important too when you, when you think about the choice piece because that's offering a new mechanism for consumers that maybe a utility, even though you get benefits at this broader economies of scale, may not focus on the kind of specific community element as well. But kind of going back to some of the lessons learned and through this process, or just really being an observer in the last you know, year, two years or so. Community choice aggregation, I think, presents a lot of opportunity to have this conversation about what customers really want, both from a planning standpoint, but also kind of a long-term visioning standpoint. And it raises a lot of questions about, you know, should communities be the ones responsible for determining what sort of energy they want? And how does that work if different communities, you know, even if they're next door to each other, have different ideas about what that looks like? And how do you integrate that with economies of scale? And then, most importantly, how do you create a grid that can support that? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah, this is your serious educational piece. <laughs> absolutely, right. And I think that's one struggle that we'll see, um, especially in California, is uh, if we shift to more local renewable energy options, that could be really great for optimizing a distribution grid. But it also could be problematic in terms of this planning piece. If a utility is planning something, and this is potentially outside of the community choice aggregations bounds or you know what that communication looks like mm. do you see um okay so let me ask you this what do you th in an ideal world where would you as an i think you're an advocate for cca can i say that i would say i wouldn't put me in the advocate so um an educator of sure. ccas right yeah. what would you like to see happen what would be an ideal yeah. scenario over the next few years and how right. this 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 uh, mechanism could play a role in the integration right. of renewable energy across country. Right. So I'm I'm less interested in the mechanism, though I think it's just as important. But I'm I'm really more interested in this sort of community enablement piece. But I think that can happen through a variety of means. Um, I think there are some utilities that are shown to do this really well, and there's a reason that they're doing that and they're sticking around. Um, a lot of municipal and co-op entities are great examples of this, where they've really taken on their customers' interests and put that on the forefront. Um, but investor and utilities, in some cases, are doing this really well. It sometimes is very state dependent, and I think the, the biggest takeaway I have and what I'd love to see is that customers are getting more educated, but also more participatory in their energy choices. And I don't think that requires, you know, a top-down, we must educate customers, because a lot of customers know what they want. And I think it's really just more of a listening opportunity, this sort of stakeholder engagement where we have more conversations about our renewable energy future and what this looks like and, and do it in a way that's also equitable and has a, a kind of a, a fair transition to everybody involved. Mm -hmm. Particularly lower income folks who may not be able to afford some of these can take advantage of kind of these aggregate groups. All right, so there we go with that uh, great interview with Rachel Henderson from SEPA. 
yeah, like I said, very deep. Um, I, I do think it's really appropriate here. Um, I mean, they have, like she said, some issues on mainland where you have communities that may be adjacent to each other, sharing a power system, but don't necessarily have the same goals. Uh, we're, we're lucky in the fact that we are a community on an island, truly islanded in, in that sense, mm. where a CCA could potentially <clears throat> help us a lot. But is it the road we want to go down? Um, it's certainly a conversation to have, and it's, and it's a community choice. It's not something I'm going to ag- advocate one way or the other for either, but I'd certainly let, encourage people to have the conversation. Absolutely. Okay, and that's the first of, I think, three um, uh, upcoming interviews in a series at SPI of the, of the SEPA interviews. So uh, big thanks to Rachel and to Julie, and then we'll be hearing over the course of the next couple of months, I guess, the other interviews, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, they're a research, research organization that does uh, dabbles in everything, you know, anything to do with um, renewables are they're they're involved in some way, shape or form, uh, doing interesting research projects, uh, publishing results, giving the awards, like we said, um, awarding and, and drawing attention to utilities or electrical um, producers who are who are doing something unique and interesting that can be modeled across the country. Uh, our own Miko was actually awarded recently. Uh, that's kind so. of how we hooked up with him, right? We saw that award. Right, exactly. And big ups to Mike for moving over to the with the Colorado head of SIA. He was formerly the, I forget his role, Jay. Do you remember what his position was at SIPA? But Mike Kruger, uh, that was the fellow that helped us out quite yeah, a bit I, in this relationship I, initially. I, I, uh, so he's moved on to SIA, the head of Col- uh, the Solar Energy Industries Association. Yeah, he, he, he was directly of communications uh, there he's now moved over to uh to run the the cosia uh which is colorado sia which is the lobbyist side of of those two organizations yeah so right. he's going to be working on policy in colorado we'll see how that works out good luck michael <laughs> nice mike all right so let's jump over we right. actually have a moment here to talk about our future focus section this future is an exciting focus, one I, right i always like to talk, i always like to talk about this um we're talking about solar panel theoretical efficiency limit increased by 33 percent yay um yay. we've talked about this a couple times on the show that the, the theoretical like laboratory perfect world uh, limit for um, silicon solar was was set at like 33 mm-hmm. percent um, and and realistically in the world we would never get that you know you get like 28 percent and even our, our best panels are already in the 20s somewhere Low 20s, so yeah. we're, it's gonna be gonna be gonna be really really difficult to get much much higher mm. um, but there's this other technology out there and I've been talking about the, the perovskite stuff for a while uh, one of the reasons why is because it's so easy to manufacture it's actually like a paint on roll on spray on kind of kind of process as opposed to the silicon crystal you actually have to grow and then cut apart mm-hmm. so as far as manufacturing it's it's a whole lot easier you can cover things in in varying shapes perhaps potentially um, lots of interesting things um, and and that was also the, the single layer was was about I want to wasn't it wasn't even as high but the, the theoretical limit was 33 percent the actual real world um, tests were about like 15 percent eight maybe 17 percent so it really wasn't that good yet but it has some really interesting properties um, one of which is this um, carrier multiplication this principle, is the, this is the fun part which, of it right here which, this is this is the fun part of it so originally this the the uh, you, you want to say the names the Shockley oh geez. limit of 33 percent has been displaced now <laughs> by the Gomez Gomez weird limit of forty four percent. I wish that I wish they inverted that. The, 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 the weird the weird Gomez. <laughs> it would be the weird Gomez limit. I like that. But so forty four percent. The bottom line of this conversation is that we're looking at a forty four percent theoretical maximum, right? Theoretical maximum. So, but that's a, it's a thirty three percent jump from your standard your standard single layer. How does that um, work, no, Jay? In thirty seconds. <laughs> in thirty in thirty seconds. Well, your three hundred four hundred watt panel can go up to five hundred. Right. Well, what they're talking about with this more, carrier more, multiplication more. process is that the photon can hit an electron, and that electron can hit another electron, and you have the the was it the hot electron and the valence electrons back from like seventh grade uh, physics, right? I mean, or chemistry. Yep, exactly, exactly. So uh, yeah, I remember that stuff. So it looks like we're gonna be able to get a multiplier effect. They're called the carrier multiplication. Right. And Very it, cool and stuff. It was, and it was theorized, but it was never proven. Right. And so that's what the, the Gomez the Gomez weird team have actually um, published papers in in 
doing multiple testing, right. and, and it's actually been conclusively proven that perovskites do have this carrier okay. multiple okay. property, well, <laughs> and we're good to go. Okay, well, we can have a 500-watt-plus panel shortly, especially if you uh, hook that up with some... Uh, I, I think, yeah, I think it proves <laughs> that technology is it's still time, marching forward. It's time so, to wrap this up, buddy. Hey, this has been The yeah. Solar Coaster. Thanks to Luke Alcana, our newest uh, representative here on air, and Jason Vericard, everybody else out there. Sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonam Battery, Pika Energy, and Sun Drum Solar. Hey, have a wonderful weekend, folks, and Aloha Friday.